This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. We're getting into this week's headlines, starting with NHPR's health and equity reporter, Paul Kuno-Booth. Hey, Paul. Hey, Rick. Paul, it's been a tough few years for Granite Staters with the pandemic and inflation. Now, a new study shows one in three New Hampshire adults say they're struggling to pay for basic household expenses. Can you tell us more about this report and, and its findings? Sure. So this comes from a recent census survey in, a, uh, in which about one in three New Hampshire residents said they were finding it somewhat or very difficult to pay for their basic living expenses. This was one of the data points cited in a recent analysis by the New Hampshire Fiscal Policy Institute. And that report points out that uh, the share of Granite Staters who are having trouble paying their bills is about the same as a year ago, but notably higher than in 2020 and 21. Some of that has to do with inflation, which has outpaced wage growth in New England. Um, Various pandemic-related aid programs have also wound down. So that's left some households with less financial support. So, Paul, how does the the end of pandemic era assistance play a role in this? So the researchers say this is one reason that more people are having trouble making ends meet. If you recall, the federal government put a series of measures in place back in 2020, 2021 to help people cope with the economic uncertainty of the pandemic. So there were stimulus checks, expanded child tax credits, uh, boost to unemployment benefits and, and SNAP benefits, that kind of thing. But those programs have now pretty much ended those expansions of, of sort of the safety net. And at the same time, as we said, inflation really took off in the last couple of years. So for many families, the cost of living has been rising while some of that extra support has disappeared. I spoke to Phil Sletton, who is the Fiscal Policy Institute's research director. He pointed out that, you know, many of those households did not have much financial cushion to begin with. An unexpected household expense, such as a medical bill or a needed car repair, can quickly deplete household savings if they are very limited. Those expenses may be something that are necessary for uh, members of a household to earn income. Some families, he says, were able to build up more savings during the pandemic, again, because of that expanded federal aid, as well as some changes in, in spending habits. But Slutton says those extra savings have been eroding and household savings are now kind of about where they were before the pandemic, when about a quarter of Granite State households had less than $2,000 on hand. What about some of the other contributing factors here, Paul? Housing costs come to mind first for, for me in thinking of some of that, that economic pressure that folks are really feeling. That's absolutely right. So for families with children, this report uh, says that housing and child care were the two biggest expenses. I don't think that'll be a surprise to, to that many listeners. But, you know, that can really put pressure on the rest of a household's budget, especially when, as we know, you know, housing and child care costs are really going up rapidly. So New Hampshire, on average, is a high income, low poverty state. But that doesn't necessarily account for some of these high housing costs, for instance. You know, it's also worth noting that those kind of average statistics do mask a lot of variation. So I mentioned some data earlier um, about sort of savings before the pandemic and, and Granite Staters who had less than $2,000 on hand. You know, that ranged from about one in five um, on the seacoast to about one in three in, in Manchester in the North Country. Um, so there are a lot of people in New Hampshire who are struggling with some of these basic necessities, even if, you know, there, there are some bright spots in the economy as well. Now, in other news this week, it is hot outside, seriously hot in many places. Paul, how, how can folks who, who may not have access to reliable air conditioning stay safe today and in the next time that we see a, a heat wave? 
That's right. So emergency officials this week are reminding people that we're in another round of extreme heat. So, you know, drink a lot of water, stay indoors during the hottest parts of the day if you can. Make sure to check on those people who may be more vulnerable to um, the heat, older adults, children, people with underlying medical conditions. And, you know, for, for folks who don't have air conditioning at home, some cities have designated public cooling centers they can go to or, you know, just look for a indoor public space like a mall or public library that, that you can spend some time in. NH Paris, Paul Kuno Booth. Thank you so much. Thank you. Experts predict more severe heat waves for New Hampshire in the future. The New Hampshire Bulletin's Amanda Parani has been following what hotter weather means for the health and safety of folks across the state. And she joins us now. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Rick. Uh, Amanda, New Hampshire's infrastructure was really never built uh, with heat in mind. What does this mean for more vulnerable populations, you know, people living in low-income neighborhoods or or without housing? Sure. So a 2017 study of heat-related deaths in New England found that on days with a heat index of 95 degrees, emergency room visits and deaths go up compared to days with a heat index of 75 degrees. And it's important to note that heat index is a measure of temperature and humidity combined. So during a high heat index, those who are above the age of 60, those with specific health conditions like kidney disease or a heart condition, or those on certain medications as well as children and infants are all at a higher risk of heat illness or death. And then there's also this other group that's at risk, and that's folks who are lower income, um, people who maybe don't necessarily live in the most insulated building, don't have access to air conditioning or even a home to go back to. We know that they're going to be at a greater risk of heat-related illness or death on these days due to exposure when the index is at 95 degrees or higher. And Amanda, you report that for now, air conditioning is the greatest tool that we have currently in, in you know keeping us cool, but it's, it's not accessible to everyone, as you pointed out. Is the state or, or maybe local cities and towns stepping up to help? So we don't have any state level assistance for this right now. Our infrastructure has naturally been built around protecting people from the cold. So our low income home energy assistance funding remains dedicated to fuel assistance. But as increased heat becomes a bigger concern, we have seen states like New York and Nebraska make that shift to consider what does cooling assistance look like. Um, But there are some folks working on the ground right now to try and meet this need. In Rockingham County, there's an organization which runs through area home care called Project Cool Air, and they provide free air conditioning units to those in need throughout the county. And that helps anyone who's over 60 or has a health condition that puts them at risk. But they have said that it's difficult to meet the demand because there aren't many other resources for folks to turn to. A heavy rain has led to flooding across the state this summer, and similar to heat waves, climate scientists expect more extreme precipitation in the future. Amanda, you reported this week that New Hampshire has many dams that would cause serious damage and loss of life if they failed during a flooding event. Can you tell us more about the risk there? Sure, Rick. So the state has around 176 of these high hazard dams, which in the case of failure would result not only in property damage, as you said, but the loss of human life. And if these dams are properly maintained, the risk is relatively low because they are tested to withstand statistically rare extreme storms. However, the problem comes when we see these high hazard dams fall into poor condition. AP analysis last year found that there was a 51% increase over three years um, in the number of high hazard dams that fell into poor condition, and that brought that number to 56. And that could refer to structural deficiencies or that these dams are failing modeling tests to ensure that they can withstand extreme precipitation events. 
So then in the case of extreme weather events like the flooding we saw this summer, that's when there's a concern that these dams could fail. Well, I'm wondering who's in charge of these dams? You know, what's being done to prevent those that are in poor condition from from being washed out? So the majority of these um, dams that were found to be in poor condition are owned by the state. Um, But there are some that are owned by towns and cities and a few that fall under private ownership as well. And to help rehabilitate and remove these dams that are in poor condition, the Executive Council did approve $35 million in federal funds from the American Rescue Plan Act last year. And that was mostly towards repairing state dams, but it also created grants for municipally owned dams. Um, And the New Hampshire Department of Environmental Services Dam Bureau expects that some of those dams should begin repairs this year. The New Hampshire Bulletin's Amanda Pirani. Thanks for talking with us this morning. Thank you, Rick. You can find more of her work at NewHampshireBulletin.com. Another group affected by extreme weather in the region this summer are farmers. And HPR's Kate Dario has been talking with farmers across the state, and she joins us now. Good morning, Kate. Good morning. What kind of damage are farmers seeing with the heavy rain and the flooding that we've had over the past few weeks? Yeah, so both the heavy rains and the flooding uh, present a lot of issues for farmers. There's kind of two types of flooding when we're talking about this. The first would be from the heavy rains, you're seeing oversaturated fields, and that can create a lot of damage with regard to crop yield and just physical damage to the crops. And then uh, flooding, when we're talking about flooding from rivers or lakes, that is really risky from a food safety perspective because there's the chance that these crops can get in contact with human pathogens like fecal contamination or chemical runoff. And that could lead to a really, you know, unsafe uh, spread of bacteria like E. coli in uh, in crops. Um, So you're seeing a lot of farmers facing, you know, potentially crop loss, potentially having to wait months to replant their fields uh, so they can have safe uh, harvests. Yeah, so many of them just losing the season, I would imagine. Exactly. So flooding is only the latest event resulting in damage to farms. Um, We had two major freezes earlier this year that wiped out apples, peaches, and other crops across the state. What are the financial consequences of that? The financial loss is huge for a lot of growers, particularly for farms that are less diversified. Um, In my reporting, I spoke to a peach orchard that grew only peaches, and they lost all of their peaches, so they lost all of their income from fruit. Um, So what you're seeing are farms basically pivoting mid-race, mid-season. That orchard in particular is now putting a lot of emphasis on trying to rent out their barn for events like weddings or parties, and also trying to start a market garden. But, you know, crop insurance and low-interest loans can only cover so much, you know, Really, a lot of farms are dealing with a massive financial blow that's going to be really hard and probably going to last for a couple seasons. Are there any state or federal programs that that might give some assistance? Yeah. So uh, New Hampshire just received this week a natural disaster designation from the USDA, which basically means that farmers can apply for low interest loans through the Farm Services Agency. And also the Commissioner for Agriculture, Sean Jasper, along with other uh, agricultural leaders in the Northeast, penned a letter to the USDA secretary asking for additional direct aid for farmers affected by this event, which could potentially come through uh, in the Farm Bill's reauthorization later this year. Now, climate scientists predict more extreme weather in New Hampshire and, of course, elsewhere in the future. How are farmers here thinking through ways to adapt? Yeah, so I've seen a lot of farmers kind of focus on other aspects other than farming, like, you know, selling baked goods or, like I mentioned before, hosting events on their farms or in their barns. 
But really something that a lot of farmers have voiced to me is just this sense of foreboding and this fear for the future of their profession. Um, You know, they might be told, oh, this is a once in a generation anomaly. Take the freezes. You know, there were two freezes this year. How can that be once in a generation if they're happening twice in one growing season? So I think a lot of them are thinking about adapting, but I think also having conversations about what does the future of being a farmer look like? You know, I think that there's a lot of concerns amongst the community right now. I'm wondering about how these extreme weather events have been affecting mental health um, among farmers. Obviously, there's that financial toll and the unpredictability is very stressful. Yes, exactly. So I think for a lot of farmers, you know, unpredictability and razor thin margins have always been part of their job. But this year has just been unprecedented and really has amped up a lot of those risks. I also think something I've heard from farmers is that there's a pretty strong kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality embedded in these communities, which I think can really present a pretty strong barrier for a lot of them for asking for help. Um, But I do think that there's organizations that are doing work to kind of destigmatize these conversations amongst farmers and in rural communities. And I think one example of how high this need is um, for farmers who are dealing with mental health issues is that NH FarmStrong is an initiative between uh, UNH and the State Department of Agriculture. And they received a federal fund to offer services through the end of August, and they distributed all their funds by the end of May because there was such high demand. Kate, I want to ask you before we let you go what other stories you might be working on right now. Yeah, I'm just continuing to follow the thread of the long-term impacts on fields uh, affected by the flooding. In particular, some of the bacteria that could potentially be in these fields could last up to 10 years. So I'm just interested in seeing how farmers are going to potentially have to deal with the consequences of this event for, you know, a decade maybe. The impacts will go on. Yeah, exactly. And HPR's Kate Dario, really appreciate your reporting. Thank you. Thank you. You can find all the stories we talked about this morning at nhpr.org and newhampshirebulletin.com. We're here next Friday with more Dob Stories. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is NHPR.